Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we are health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week, we're asking whether GPs should be able to prescribe antidepressants to children and teenagers. As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So if you have a question or a suggestion for us at Medical Minefield, tweet us on Twitter at MedMinefield. So Eve, as so many stories begin, this started with a tweet. It did start with a tweet. My tweet... Why don't you take me through it? (laughs) Okay, so I saw a report recently published by the National Institute for Health Research that seemed to raise the alarm about antidepressants being prescribed by GPs to too many children and teenagers against the guidelines set by NICE, which determine how doctors should prescribe medication. Now, according to those guidelines, antidepressants in children and teenagers have to be prescribed by a psychiatrist via a specialist service. So children and adolescent mental health service, CAMS, is sometimes what it's referred to as. But this report found that, in fact... 75% of 12 to 17-year-olds have been prescribed psychiatric drugs without seeing a mental health specialist. So so do you mean 75% of Of people people who are prescribed? Yeah. So what are the absolute figures then of, you know, under-18s? How how many under-18s are prescribed antidepressants? Well, the latest figures shows that they'd reached record heights to about 1 million young people prescribed antidepressants every year. And I think when you look at teenage girls, some groups of teenage girls, it's, it's almost one in four teenage girls have prescribed antidepressants now or or something? So interestingly, when you look at children overall, the figures are about one in six children, aged six to 16. But if you look at 16 to 17 year old girls, it's one in four. Oh, yeah. Which is pretty striking. Yeah. I can't say I'm surprised. I can see why people are concerned about this. But in your tweet, you said something that, despite the fact we've known each other for many years, you didn't I know. had. Yeah, I didn't I know. I mentioned it no. in our casual conversations about my mental health. No, you said in your tweet that you'd been prescribed antidepressants when you were. 15, I think it was. Yeah. And that it was, you saw it as a positive thing. Yeah. The kind of inference in this report was very much not just that uh, antidepressants are being prescribed outside the guidelines, but also I found that the way other organisations had reported this report was that it was such a terrible thing that antidepressants are being prescribed to children full stop. And I really felt that actually, in some cases, i.e., my case, prescribing antidepressants regardless of age can be useful if there is a clinical need. And in my case, I had severe anxiety. I couldn't get out of bed. It was a very unexpected, sudden episode where I was essentially climbing the walls for about a week. I couldn't go to school. I couldn't eat anything. I couldn't sleep. And my mother was completely exasperated, didn't know what to do. And the GP said, there's something that I can do. I can give you some medicine. And I took it and it worked. And I'm not saying that it's the magic bullet and that everything just disappeared, Mm. but it does help you get over a hump if you're in a period of acute emotion. A big concern, I suppose, in prescribing antidepressants to someone very young Mm. is that they're going to be, I suppose, on antidepressants for life. Mm. And also the other big concern is is around side effects. And yes, there are side effects, but 
perhaps they're not as terrible as all that. Like all of these things, it's a risk versus benefit analysis. That's what's key here. And all the experts that I've spoken to have said to me that overall the evidence shows that it is better to prescribe than to not prescribe in certainly moderate to severe cases of depression. The evidence for anxiety isn't amazing, but there are studies that show that it is effective. I thought there was better evidence for anxiety than there was for depression. No. So this is interesting. The NICE guidance actually recommends nothing for anxiety in young people. So experts are calling for something to be written in. And I've been told the reason why that is, is because there's such a lack of very good studies and good reviews. I did find a couple that showed uh, that fluoxetine, the antidepressant I was on, is very effective for anxiety. I suppose an amount of the concern, I think, around this report, although the report was about medication, that it was about the fact that so many children are struggling with these mm. these mental health conditions and there is this rise that, that has been definitely exacerbated by the pandemic and the disruption mm. and the things that children were put through during this time which were exceptional mm. and perhaps as well unnecessary which is, is added to people's fury, mm. I think. Mm. So there's a degree of concern about the, the fact that children are suffering from these these problems. But I do think as well that there's a certain shock at young people being unwell, mm. you know, a young teenager being well, unwell. You know, for, for the article this weekend, you've given us a, a picture of you uh, from when you were around that time, aged 14, 15, your school photo. So you look so jolly. When I look at that picture, you just look so little. You just want to give you a, a hug and, and I'm sure that would make it all better. I was quite an underdeveloped 14-year-old, I must say. <laughs> But, you know, a cuddle and a, a sticking plaster, surely that would do everything that, that a child needed. You know, unfortunately, people get very ill. Mm. You know, it's, it's rare for, for children to get very ill, you know, but kids get cancer, kids get all kinds of things that require quite powerful medicine. And I suppose it's tied into the idea that we look at mental illness as somehow not real or that something could else could be done and in fact there isn't very good evidence for the alternatives to antidepressants is there there's, no. there's not great evidence for psychotherapy being that effective you know just talking about it for instance isn't that effective and and certainly you didn't find it helpful at all I didn't. I had, I think it was either six or ten sessions of CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, and I was asked to write down my thoughts and talk about them and think about where they've come from. And at the age of 15, when I was absolutely consumed with terror by these thoughts I was having, I didn't want to talk about them. I didn't. I certainly didn't want to write them down and look at them and discuss them with somebody I'd never met. I'm not sure how many children of that age are able to sort of process it in an objective way. But interestingly, some of the research I was looking at showed that just talking to somebody who the young person trusted in a lot of situations actually had the same benefit as medication or a CBT. So in milder cases, I guess, and this is mostly for depression rather than anxiety, you know, even having a kind of extended GP appointment every two weeks and really trying to understand what's going on for that child. Because often mm. with children, their situation is their entire world. So it's things like something going wrong at school or their parents or... I think you've just hit on something there mm. that there is a there is a situation, isn't there, in, in terms of access mm. to support. So... 
you know, that the, although we can talk about the relative benefits of having extended GP appointments, mm. what is the likelihood of that actually happening? No GP is giving extended appointments no. to multiple young people needing, exactly. needing support right now because they're just stretched too thin. So, you know, what else is there? That's the thing that I find my, most frustrating is that there are a lot of experts who will not budge. I mean, it was quite difficult to get psychiatrists to talk to me about this, for one, which I thought was interesting, but also... They won't budge on this idea that this is the gold standard treatment. Every child with a mental health condition should be under a CAM service and should be with a psychiatrist and medication should not be prescribed unless that psychiatrist is monitoring them and decides that medication is a good idea. Of course, no one would say that that's not best practice. However, in practical terms, that's not happening. So there's no point in calling for it and saying the government needs to give more money because we've been saying that for however many years and it's not going to happen. So what can we do in the interim to make sure that these children who are suffering aren't just sent off on their way with nothing? Well, why don't we hear from some experts now? Yes, earlier this morning I spoke to Dr Ian Goodyear, who is a professor in adolescent and childhood psychiatry at the University of Cambridge. Professor Goodyear, thank you so much for finding some time to talk to us this morning. Why do you think there is so much outrage about prescribing young people antidepressants? Well, I think there's some outrage and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. Uh, antidepressants are, are very important treatments for particular types of depression, generally severe depressions that have found difficulty in responding to psychological treatments. They shouldn't really be prescribed as a first line except in some very particular circumstances. But when they are prescribed and when you compare their effects with other treatments for severe depressions, antidepressants are important and effective treatments for the condition. I'm really interested in this subject because I was prescribed antidepressants for anxiety myself when I was 15 and I found them hugely helpful. But there doesn't really seem to be much guidance about anxiety, although I've seen that there are research papers that show that an SSRI called fluoxetine is effective. Yes, most of the work and the interest and the concerns have been on different populations. The work has been on depressed adolescents in the main who have quite moderate to severe disorders. The concerns have been about young people who have milder and moderate conditions that present in the community and the anxiety disorders have received far less research and clinical interest than depressions, whether they're mild or severe. So the role of fluoxetine in anxiety presentations is far less well understood than it is for depressions. And in this current situation where there is limited access to child and adolescent mental health services, there's been a lot of um, concern about GPs prescribing antidepressants to young people. But I guess, what are GPs supposed to do if they are putting a child on a waiting list and expecting them to wait up to six months to get any form of help? You're right. Child and adolescent mental health services, both the specialist services, which people would be referred to if they had moderate to severe conditions, and the community services, which were hoping to pick up on the mild to moderate conditions early on in their presentations, have both suffered tremendously over the past 10 to 20 years in resource shortages. And that leaves GPs in a very difficult place. 
The National Institute of Clinical Excellence, which advises all healthcare professionals about many, many conditions, has advised that GPs should not prescribe antidepressants to individuals considered depressed under the age of 18, but it is an impossible position for them. They do not have access easily to services, and although many services try very hard to operate a rapid emergency or we will see you kind of service for very severe disorders such as suicidal young people, that doesn't cover many and that does leave GPs in a very difficult place. I, I completely agree. Even GPs themselves no longer have the space and the time that they used to have to offer good psychosocial support and a concerning ear and advice-giving opportunities to young people in their own health centres. I mean, as we all know, GPs are pushed beyond limits at the moment, as are nurses and other healthcare professionals. And surely if you see a child in complete crisis, it's better to do something rather than nothing? Well, that's a very difficult position because when you say it's better to do something than nothing, that does sound right until you consider that some of the things that you might do could make things worse. And so it's, it's a very, very difficult position. I wish that there was more opportunity to utilize digital services for GPs where they could call and receive expert advice on the phone so that they may carry out treatments even if you can't get a young person to see an expert like a child psychiatrist or a clinical child psychologist or a mental health nurse. We used to actually have informally quite reasonable links with GPs, including some telephone services, but sadly those have become particularly difficult in these trying times. That seems like a no-brainer, being able to pick up the phone to even a mental health nurse and say, look, I've got this child, she's 16, I really would like to prescribe fluoxetine, what do you think about that? And for the mental health profession to say, yes, I think that's a good idea, or no. I, I agree. I think you'll find that does happen in some places. I think it's all about resource allocation and it's all about how the local mental health services have been able to organise their own mental health pathways and the connections they've made with general practice over that. So the principle that you raised, it does happen in some places, but I suspect that it is very patchy. Mm. And you mentioned the side effects. There's been a lot of concern about quite alarming side effects, specifically things like increase in suicidal ideation, suicidal behaviour even. What are the risks exactly? Well, you're right. It's a very emotive subject and people have strong views that often outweigh the evidence base. So it is a difficult set of issues. First of all, all medicines have side effects. And indeed, all psychological treatments have degrees of side effects. We know actually very little about the side effects of psychotherapies. The side effects of antidepressants have been well studied and they are written about. And any time an antidepressant, particularly fluoxetine or a similar in that family of drugs, is prescribed, the child and the parents in particular should be given a very clear understanding of what the adverse effects might be. You talked about the emotional side of this with saying what about suicidality is it the case that if you take fluoxetine you're more likely to think or even act suicidally than you did before you took fluoxetine and i think the data on this is pretty poor on the whole recent studies very recent studies published this year would suggest that is not likely that 
there's a problem because if you're depressed, the chances of suicidal thoughts and actions are increased because of the illness. It's important, therefore, to separate suicidal thoughts that are illness-related from suicidal thoughts and actions that are medication-related. And that's been done only once in a very recent study of over half a million people across the life course. When you look at their data, which follows every individual before, during, and after they've taken their medication, you find that there really is no increase in suicidality directly as a consequence of the antidepressant. That doesn't mean that there might not be some. And is that just fluoxetine? That is not just fluoxetine. That is other drugs across the lifespan. For young people, fluoxetine is the definitive drug of choice. That has been shown quite clearly on a number of studies. So I'm personally not worried if severe depressed young people are given fluoxetine by their GP or by a specialist. I prefer they were seen by a specialist because I think the benefits of the treatment far outweigh the risks in moderate to severe depressive disorders. What about anxiety, somebody with a, with a severe anxiety like I, I had when I was a teenager? Yes, far less clear-cut, far less clear-cut. And I think that needs a lot more research. I would be really unable to provide definitive thoughts on it. My own experience would suggest that there are some young people between 11 and 17 with severe anxiety that is very related to depressive illnesses. They do combine rather highly about between a half and two-thirds of depressed patients will also report anxiety disorders and most anxiety patients will have some depressive features. So perhaps it's not surprising that some of those individuals will respond to a medication like fluoxetine, but it deserves a lot more research than it's getting. You're right, we don't know very much. Well, Professor Goodyear, it's been fascinating to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. Something that really interests me is, are we seeing an actual increase of mental illness or are we just getting better at recognizing it and treating it mm. and therefore the numbers are rising so the 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 you know things that would have been called teenage angst mm. in the past are now being called you know depression anxiety etc not brushed aside because you know i mean i remember one of the, the first articles i ever wrote for a newspaper back in the dark ages was about children with depression. Mm. And weirdly, it was one of the few times, obviously, while working for The Observer and Guardian, the only times in my journalistic career I've been censored. Thank you very much. I did a piece and it was... I'm it was now. Yeah, I think there'd been a report about the rise in numbers of teenagers being treated for mm. depression. So I went out and found children being treated for depression mm. and I did an interview very middle class mum talking about her daughter who'd gone completely off the rails substance abuse casual sex self-harm suicide attempt um, violent behavior eventually medicated on the road to recovery finally mm. and uh, the editor thought it was way too graphic and unpalatable so eventually we kind of anonymized the case study and toned it down in order to publish it because they thought it would be too shocking for the gentle observer readers it's still out there somewhere with my byline on it wow the children get unwell <laughs> but you know even back then mm. i think this was in the early 2000s mm. in fact 
it was seen as so taboo then, mm. I think, the mm. idea of a child having a breakdown in this way, even to progressive, well-educated mm. observer editors, that was seen as, as shocking and, and we, we just can't possibly talk about it. Mm. And I think fast forward 20 years or so, we are much better at talking about bipolar disorder breakdowns and that they can happen in teenagers as well and self-harm and such like. And perhaps part of this is is a positive sign that we are grasping the nettle. Definitely. And I think teenagers are much more able to identify problems in their self and a lot more self-aware than they used to be, I think, because there's so much more, you know, on social media, everyone's talking about mental illness, blah, blah, blah. But the experts do make a point of saying there is a very small proportion of children and teenagers who present to their GP with a mental health problem will actually have moderate to severe depression or anxiety that needs treatment. The majority of cases are transient and that's not to diminish them. But as you said, at that age, there are kind of ups and downs mood wise, and that is very normal. And it may be that there's a period of something very difficult going on in the child's life. And that's why they're experiencing those tough emotions. But in the majority of those cases, it will disappear. Severe depression is relatively rare in children. Like most serious illness. Exactly. Well, let's hear from another one of the experts. Now on the line is Ruth Glover, who is a child and adolescent psychotherapist. Ruth, what do you think about this, well, what some would say, a problem of GPs prescribing too many antidepressants to children? I mean, I think that it is a problem. And I think it's primarily actually a problem because because it's in response to the fact that there's just not enough resourcing or availability for young people to be accessing the specialist therapeutic mental health services that they need. So GPs are trying, I think, their best to deal with unprecedented levels of need of depression and mental health difficulties in children and adolescents in some ways on their own. The NICE guidelines are clear that antidepressants shouldn't be the first line of treatment for adolescents and that they should be in conjunction with therapy, talking therapy of different kinds, including CBT or psychotherapy, psychodynamic psychotherapy. And um, if they are prescribed, they should be prescribed by a psychiatrist. But the issue is that the need has increased so dramatically while retention and recruitment in the mental health services is, I think, probably at an all-time low, which means that the guidelines, although clear about what the treatment should be, aren't clear about what people should do when actually the treatment isn't available within the timescales that young people need. For many years now, campaigners and doctors have been calling for the government to invest more in child and adolescent mental health services. And it doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon. And as you said, we've got this huge surge in demand. Is it not important to, practically speaking, do what we can to help children with the resources that we have? And perhaps that means empowering GPs to prescribe antidepressants when they feel it's necessary. I mean, I suppose I think, yes, of course, we need to do what we can to help young people with the resources that we have. That's, that is obviously the case. I suppose the question is, what is the best way to do that? And what is the safest way to do that? All the guidance says that it should be monitored by specialists and alongside therapeutic treatment. And and one of the reasons for that is concerns about side effects and it is concerns about safety. 
I don't know if you've noticed this, Ruth, but there does seem to be a sort of different threshold for giving psychiatric medication compared to medication for physical health. For instance, you know, if your child had a physical condition and was really suffering, you wouldn't hesitate. Parents would not hesitate to give their child a, a drug that might help. Why do you think it's different for psychiatric medication and psychiatric conditions? I think, you know, there's obviously concerns about long-term impact of anything medication-wise on children and young people, whether for physical health or for mental health. And actually, long-term studies, my understanding is it's not, there aren't so many of what happens long-term for long-term use. But I, I mean, I think from my perspective, it's not so much whether or not there should be antidepressant medication. The concern is why are young people not getting access to the actual care and therapy that they need? You know, at Open Door, our experiences since the pandemic, referrals, and as I was saying, lots of these are young people that are wanting and seeking help to come to us, have gone up 42%. The funding obviously hasn't increased. That's not just with us, that's with all the services that that's happening. And that's the serious issue. In a way, what GPs are trying to do, I'm not blaming them at all, to manage this isn't actually the starting point of the difficulty. It's why is there not the investment in what we know is actually effective and helps these desperate young people. Why do you think there is this rise in demand? I think it's a complicated question. I think that obviously some of the rise has happened since COVID. There's probably lots of reasons for that. For everybody, I think everybody's still kind of recovering on the actual impact of what it felt like to be scared to go out of your house or to meet people or for adolescents to kind of have friends, to have girlfriends and boyfriends and all of those kind of things. People were stuck, stressed, worried about money, worried about health and loss in their houses. And it was a a very difficult time. Is that what you're specifically seeing in in clinic, those kinds of, of worries with young people? Yes. I mean, I think that we're seeing lots of worries. We're seeing worries for young people about their futures. Definitely worry about that. What hope is there for them? Do you think that things are going to improve anytime soon in terms of the mental health of our young people? Um, I always like to have some hope. Be as honest as you want. Yeah, I mean, I always like to have some hope. I think that even the fact that we're talking about it, actually, you know, I think people are aware there is awareness of quite how much this, you know, these difficulties are growing and that you know, the NHS, particularly in the statutory services, are really, really struggling to meet demand. Can I just go back to something that you said before or something that you were implying, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you seem to be saying that psychotherapy and talking therapies were more effective than antidepressants as a form of treatment. Is that what the evidence shows? So the NICE guidelines say, I'm not necessarily saying that, but the NICE guidelines definitely say that medication should not be the first line of treatment for child and adolescent depression and that it should be considered after talking therapy and alongside rather than on its own. And you're saying that's because it works better? That's, that's the evidence. That's, yeah, that, that is the research control trial evidence, yes. I will say from Open Door where we do talking therapy, and as I said, I'm really not against medication when it's needed, and I'm often linking with GPs and CAMs and other services to get that. Ruth, can I just ask you, I've spent quite a long time looking at the evidence, and, and from what I can see, the reviews seem to show not very much difference between therapies such as CBT and being prescribed fluoxetine and certainly you know combination of both seems to be 
the kind of optimum. The, I mean, the interesting thing that, that we were talking about earlier was that, that, that not necessarily CBT therapy or any kind of psychotherapy, these therapies weren't superior to just having uh, casual conversations with, uh, you know, monitoring. a doctor, mm. moni- monitoring, they call it. But, you know, mm. just being able to talk about it with anyone. Mm. I feel that there's always a worry with these conversations that it makes it sound like the CBT therapy or psychotherapy is, is, is vastly superior but I'm not sure that the evidence really shows that. So I can talk about the NICE guidelines which you've had access to. All I can really talk about is the evidence that I see at Open Door with our young people. We offer predominantly psychotherapy. And we've been working with 900 young people and offering 8,000 appointments. So, you know, it's a, it's a big group of young people. And when we do get evaluation and stuff, we're seeing, you know, with validated measures, significant improvements in mental health and... 98% of them saying that they would absolutely suggest this service to other young people. I see the change and I think it depends. You know, we are also very much adapting our therapy to the young people we see and trying to make it as accessible as possible for them. And they really want a space to talk, to be heard and to understand themselves with somebody who can help them. That's our experience. Absolutely. Well, Ruth, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. Bye. Well, apologies to listeners for the line. Ruth was obviously dialing in from... God knows where. <laughs> Some just dis- a slight distortion on that one. So I wanted to pick her up on, on mm. that point mm. that she made, mainly because we're being criticised as we speak mm. on Twitter for last week. Professor Joanna Moncrief called lithium a sedative. A sedative. And uh, people have taken umbrage with that because, in fact, sedatives are a completely different class of drug. And I think what she probably meant was it had a sedative-like effect. Anyway, we've been called irresponsible or unethical for not having picked her up on that immediately during the conversation. So we're doing it this week. (laughs) So there there it is. She should have said sedative-like effect Mm. because that's what she thinks as a professor who uh, studies these things. And talks to patients, but yes, it's it's not it's not a sedative, and the evidence for psychotherapy is not that great. No, I mean there's conflicting evidence. There's studies showing that probably uh, the optimum treatment is a combination. But also, it's I, I wanted to say with her, it's 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 you know what she said proves the point of this as well, mm. and all those studies that show the benefit. Mm. It's a self-selecting thing, isn't mm, it? Mm. You know, people who turn up to her service want to have psychotherapy, mm. and therefore are going to be more predisposed to wanting to for it to work. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And, Having had psychotherapy myself, you know, it's a real process, especially when it comes to teenagers. It's intensive. Yeah, I mean, and I've had multiple psychotherapists who I've had many, many sessions with mm. who I've had absolutely zero benefit from and spent the whole time thinking, well, yeah, what you're saying is completely obvious. I could have told you that. And there are some young people and adults even who just don't want to talk. They don't have time. Yeah. They have busy lives or they find it difficult to talk and, and, and they should be able to talk at some point but well, Ellie says that doesn't she that she doesn't like talking about it she just mm. wants to take a pill and she doesn't want to spend I, hours I talking yeah. about her irrational thoughts absolutely that's how I feel and you know psychotherapists they'll they'll want I, I had one who was just you could just see she was desperate to make sure I hope she never hears this I've had multiple ones so I'm probably not talking about you 
Sure. You, you could tell she was desperate for it to be something to do with my father. Oh, really? So she's every one of those... conversation, every conversation, and uh, you know, I mean, it was like, oh, for God's sake. But I do worry that there's kind of subtleties to this debate that really stink of stigma when it comes to psychiatric medicine. And it does annoy me that there does seem to be this threshold to give medication that appears to be, or the justification that's mm. that much can't higher. possibly be necessary. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. we must possibly do, you know, do everything else possible before we do this. When actually, yes, there are some serious side effects. Absolutely. But as our other experts said, there are side effects with every medication. And there's lots of medications where the side effects are suicidal thoughts. So I just really struggle with the idea that we won't give something to a patient who's very mentally unwell that might work mm. when we will do that for physical slope, medication. It? Yeah, for physical conditions. And as somebody who has been very mentally unwell at a very young age and completely clueless as to how it would get better and what to do about it, you know, the thought that I would have to go for various GP appointments, wait for 10 months to see a psychiatrist before there was any sort of chance of relief is terrifying. And I think my mother would say that that would have absolutely terrified her. She would have felt completely left alone. Well, if you want to read all about this and all the latest health news, you can do so in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in newspaper format on the Mail app or on mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye.